My turn. Your turn. It's screaming divas. Screaming divas. And who did we interview today? I am was really excited to talk to her. It is Rachel Willis Sorensen, soprano diva, 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 awesome sauce. So it was really fun to talk to her and get to know her better. And that's what this interview was. And it was so fun to talk to somebody else who is boisterous and opinionated. And I kind of just, I loved her. So, and such a mentor to young artists over the pandemic, really unbelievable Uh, what she did, what she did on social media, how the voice lessons that she's been giving Mm -hmm. the information that she's been putting out there for young artists Mm -hmm. and really making opera accessible and giving them the knowledge that we've all been given over the years. And she just said, here you go, people. Boom. Boom. So here's some honest facts. Yeah. And a great singer. Yeah. Really a great technician, a great singer. Yeah. I think everybody's going to love this one. So cool. put your seatbelts on and get ready for the ride. Yep. Cause it's a fun one. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody watch the clip. And we love you. Stay safe. Bye. Bye. Um, best piece of advice you were ever given. Um, that yeah, people believe the story you're telling them about yourself, mm. including you. You believe the story that you're telling people about yourself. So be careful with that story because in the absence of a conscious thought about that story, the story is going to disparage you. We are taught to betray ourselves to benefit other people. We mm. are taught this early and we are taught it hard and so you have to be careful and sort of shift the narrative into a more like self loving one. And then, uh, yeah, then your story will change and people will therefore believe of, in you in a different way. That's amazing. Love awesome. that. Yeah. I chose this red backdrop because it's kind of your color. I it love it. Screaming Divas Red. Hello. Hello. I don't have a coffee cup. Do we have a coffee mug? Can I have a coffee mug too instead of my water cup? Then I can cheers you. I didn't well, know that he, was requisite. It's oh, well, it doesn't. We normally have drinks, but it's so early here and we've been yeah. like, uh, it's it's that it's that time of year. Yes. Thank you guys, you look so beautiful, both of you. Thank you. Where are you? Thank you. Okay, wait. I think I think this one's better. No, is this good? Oh, that's great. This one, or we also have this option. Thank you, Moreb. No, it clashes. It clashes with my shirt. We don't want to go with that. And that's there. Goes. So you have the red background and the black and white. So that's the screen. I'm so graphic. Hello. Hello, ladies. Great to see you. You too. Yay, where are you? I'm in Paris. Oh, how fun. Five seconds and I'm on my way to Vienna where I will be singing uh, Rosalinda in Fledermals, which I'm so excited and also vaguely terrified about because it's like their piece, right? I mean, it's Vienna. Right. I I don't know that there's a more Viennese piece, maybe Rosenkavlier but to do it in Vienna, but I, it's like, I'm just psycho enough to accept that level of challenge and just like hope for the best. You know? Yeah, but your Rosalinda <laughs> is fabulous. I, when I was studying oh, the role, I was watching you a lot and I was like, holy crap, like you make this sound easy and that is oh, not easy. Nice. So you're your German is impeccable. Like, yeah. Thank you, you, thank you. I, uh, I do love German. It's a, it's a great language and I do luckily speak German. So that is helpful. Awesome. But you know how the more you study a language, the more you kind of realize that you cannot attain native fluency, even if you really strive. It's like, there's always going to be a certain flavor, like a seasoning that you're missing yes. somehow. Yes. You know, so you sound very, very native to me when you speak. Oh, vielen Dank. Ich gebe mir Mühe. I, give, my, I, I struggle to... Did you just say Brivet? No, I said bitte. Brivet. Cocktail. Hotter show. Yes, about there's my Russian. There you go. Done with that. Yeah.
Yay! So, oh my God, there's so much that we can talk yes. about. Yes. Screaming yes. Diva stuff. Well, Pandemic. first, I want to just say what an honor it is to join you here. And I'm so excited. I'm such a Screaming Divas fan. And um, yeah, I'm really happy to join you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming. Thanks for doing it. Seriously, yeah. Like we we just yak and yak. It's just us girls like going blah blah blah. Yeah, that is that is right exactly up my very personal alley. So what a horrible expression, am I right? Anyway. (laughs) Pandemic. I kind of love that. Sorry, that should be the hashtag of this video. Boom. Okay. (laughs) Let's talk about the pandemic. We're because we, you know what? Listen, we we all live through it, and it seems like at least Vienna's open now. Thank knock God. on wood. Ooh, 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 knock, 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 yeah. knock. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So where where were you holed up during the pandemic? Um, let's see. Variously in. <clears throat> see, it's really weird because I kept going to projects only to have them be canceled later. So I actually think I lived in eight different countries during the so far. <laughs> during this mad corona time but i in the beginning i was in denmark and then i was in the states for a while i spent a lot of time in france um i was in germany i i was in switzerland i was in i was all over i was all over the place so i wasn't really holed up anywhere because i was very fortunate to have a few things filmed or like i said they kept it, there was always this notion like maybe we'll be able to open so i kept going and then we'd rehearse and then be like no never mind <laughs> So it was, um, so yeah, you taught. yeah, that was happening. Hmm. So you ended up teaching a lot during the pandemic. Yes, I did. And actually, um, where I went to school, BYU, Brigham Young University in Utah, they didn't have a master's program in performance, but I loved my teacher, Daryl Babbage. So I decided to stay there for my master's and it's in pedagogy. And so, cool. I mean, coincidentally, I have this master's in pedagogy and then I really utilized it. I didn't realize that I was much of a teacher, to be honest, because I hadn't had a great deal of experience. But during the pandemic, then I started teaching. Well, it was funny because I thought, well, certainly I'm no expert, right? I mean, I think we all assume that the voices to me at the time I thought of it, I conceptualized it as very mysterious. But then I started listening to people and I thought, well, I mean, I have something to say. So I would just say it like, well, look, take it or leave it. This is what I think. But then I found, oh my gosh, I can really help people actually and then I think um something that I feel proud of being able to contribute personally was like a great deal of tenderness toward young singers because I remember that vulnerability and I remember like abusive relationships with some teachers so I was making it like this personal crusade to help people believe in themselves because I am decidedly of the belief that um loving oneself is is a much better path to better singing than um, Mm -hmm. berating oneself so I tried to provide that to um, to the people that I helped during the pandemic. And then I taught, yeah, like a few voice lessons a day and I supported Ooh. myself. I prevented bankruptcy during the, uh, you know, the drought of income because all the performances were canceled. And yeah, it was really great. And I started something, which I'm still doing a weekly masterclass uh, on Facebook. Oh. I put it behind a very, very limited paywall um, because I think that entitles me to be a little bit more candid and I share all of the things, all of the things, what it's like, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And um, it's called Real Opera Life School. And it's, and I'm, it's ongoing. I had during the pandemic, I think we had 300 students. So it's not enormous, right? But now it's down to something like 70, 70, you know, diehard pupils that, uh, right. We keep having various periods of open enrollment and we get more students, but anyway, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And you're going to keep doing that? I think I'm going to keep doing it because when I taught during the pandemic, um, there was just so much interest in lessons and people via the medium of Instagram, I just have collected like a little community and a lot of people ask me for voice lessons and I just don't have really the time to devote to it. It's, it's a, a completely separate profession, you know, really? and luckily now that some of the performances are back on, like I can't really... Mm-mm. dedicate myself to private teaching I would want to say yes to everyone it's sort of this like destructive people-pleasing impulse that I find myself to have <laughs> but I can't quite do that so I also say very often look it costs the same like if you you could pay for four months of real opera life school 
and then you would only get one hour of private lesson with me oh. and in four months of real life school you have access to uh four times a month like three 20 minute lessons so if you sign up even repeatedly i mean it's basically first come first serve okay. so i try i try to encourage people like this is a much more economical way to access mm -hmm. my opinion if you mm -hmm. want to i will share with you um so that is the answer to the people who ask for lessons i just do real offer life school okay cool i love that i want to check that out yeah thank <laughs> do you i love um, oh sorry I just love real talk. I mean, because nobody's really sharing the real shit about what's going on. You right. Know, That's the stuff. feeling that I had that there are so many difficult lessons that I learned like while doing the job. Mm -hmm. And I thought if somebody had just mentioned this to me before in maybe a slightly more digestible way, then right. it, maybe it wasn't even mentioned to me, but I didn't understand certain things. So I try to tell them this is what it's really like. And very often people ask me about being like a mother who sings and what that is like sure. and how do you maintain the work-life balance whatever um right. I love that question so much mostly the answer is like just really badly that's how I do it but no but I just I tell them the truth. one day at a time that's what I always say to people how do you manage oh, it that's a good answer one day at a time sometimes hourly, honestly, yeah hourly sometimes every 10 minutes you're like what's happening check in every 10 minutes where are the kids? I mean, you have three now, right? I have like 150 children. Yeah, no, it's three. It's three. Congratulations. Thank that you. I'm so fertile. That means you've practiced a lot too. <laughs> no, just the three, but one, two of them are twins. So they came, it was a bargain, a two for one. But um, <laughs> Love it. Um, let's see what they have begun school in Denmark. Okay this august they started school and I, I it's funny i remember like weeping a lot when the twins were born because i knew eventually they're gonna have to go to school and i just had them with me on the road and my daughter who was eight um i i until she was eight i mean i had one cancellation which enabled me to put her in a like a public school kindergarten for like three months at one point and she loved it so much and she talked about it so romantically like oh mrs bagley's kindergarten class she just talked about it. and the kids are some one day the, the year after that we were on the road again together and she just would sometimes cry and say oh i miss my friends from kindergarten for three months and i thought okay i can't it's selfish of me to insist they travel with me all their lives i know eventually they're gonna have to go to school so they started school in denmark which i'm lucky that it's in the eu because mm -hmm. i work more in europe than the u.s so then they're basically a two hour flight from anywhere I'm, I'm working. Oh, amazing. And I found I can sneak away sometimes for short periods, but I am actually, it turns out I'm with them half the time because they have That's a significant great. amount of time off of school. Okay. And then when I'm between engagements, I have them. So it's, it's half the time. It's not, um, it's not as limited as I imagined it was going to be, Oh yay. So, but it has nevertheless been a painful transition. And, uh, but, but also they have never been happier. Like I, they are sad. They miss me more than when we were always together, mm -hmm. but also I'm look, I'm watching them developmentally. They're doing so much better than they were on the road with me. So I come to terms. So it's home Denmark then home is Denmark. Yes. Home okay. is now Denmark. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. New York city. Welcome. Oh, look at that. I love it. New York, New I York. Am. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say this. Somebody, somebody was telling me recently they visited New York, a Danish person, and their children got um pinworms. And I was like, ah, oh, New York is such a cesspool. I'm sorry. It's so funny. It's but that was their takeaway. That was their oh, takeaway no. from, from New York City. Oh, there you go. <laughs> their kids I, got pinworms. That's hysterical. And well, welcome I'm to New sorry. York. And here's your pinworms. Yeah. Sorry. I have a question for you. Yes. Okay. So you've been giving, and and please don't take this the wrong way. Okay. Oh my God. Let <laughs> me just preface it. No, no, no. No, Disclaimer. Listen. Disclaimer. You've been giving a lot of advice about vocal technique. Yeah. Online. Uh huh. Do you think vocal technique is one size fits all? Absolutely not. Okay. Because I I I I know a lot of teachers teach the same technique to everybody oh, no. everybody no. i do find in teaching a variety of people that there are trends there mm -hmm. are like common 
common tensions, for example, like tongue tension is very prevalent among even, yeah. unfortunately, even among professional singers. So you can see it, like if someone's tongue is withdrawing in their throat or, you know what I mean? Yeah. Tongue tension is something I think there are some sort of vaguely like one size fits most solutions. You can always address things like support and breathing, but no, absolutely not. not there is no silver bullet method for learning to sing. If there is, it's going to be some stupid thing like you figured it out yourself. Do you know what I mean? You you right. you heard the information from various sources, you uh, assimilated it, and now you can apply it to your own throat. But no, I I think it has to be highly individualized, and it really I mean that's that's another thing I noticed from teaching because I mean I taught probably I should somewhere look it up and count it. There's hundreds of people during wow. that pandemic year and there are such a variety of ways of getting it slightly wrong. Do you know what I mean? Like slightly yes. harder than necessary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But mostly, so I find that the most effective voice teaching that I had as a student um, is sort of really brutal actually, where the teacher just sort of like exaggerates the flaw and shows you, this is what you're doing. Yeah. I had this with Patricia McCaffrey in New York. I don't know if you know her. She's, mm -hmm. she can be really ruthless, but she's mm -hmm. right. Like she's an exceptional technician. And she would say to me, do you want to do it like that? Is, that? is that what you want to do? And at first I was so taken aback. I was like, that is shockingly offensive. But she was right. I didn't want to do it like that. So hearing <laughs> it that bad. I, I take it the same way. She's like, it's helpful. obviously, obviously you don't sound exactly like this, but this is what I'm hearing. Uh, I was like, <laughs> um, do I just need to go now? Okay. Yeah. It, anyway, I just, what is the thing that you're finding most common in young singers? Um, just various laryngeal times, high larynx. The thing is, I wonder if it's, I, I, I don't, I don't know, mostly. Okay. So I would say that in my generation, there was so much toxicity toward young singers that I just observed in some of my colleagues, like this sort of psychotic perfection mongering that was in, disempowering them to the point of not being able to do it at all. They couldn't freely express themselves because they were so worried about getting it wrong. Okay. And I don't know that that's the problem of young singers now, actually. I think that there's like such a different atmosphere. Um, I'm not sure, but, but what I do notice is a lot of tongue tension. I think a lot of people sing with tongue tension and, and also this, like, I wish I had a better word for it, but there's like a alveolar R, you know, there's the, whatever this muscle is. I conceptualize it as the top, like the soft palate collapsing in a shape like this. And so people are singing with this color. Oh, there's a lot of that. And a lot of they, that's how young them. people speak nowadays. They speak like this? I don't know. <laughs> I think they speak with a very uh, unnaturally suppressed larynx. Oh, interesting. I'm and not I don't know where that started, but the younger generation, like kids in their 20s, they have this very like pushed push down. Push really low yeah, right it's interesting. I and I don't, it's sort of like a trend toward the androgynous i would say like the um yeah. <clears throat> i mean yeah. what am what am i i don't know anything i'm not studying sociology but it it seems to me it's true there's like this trend among young people toward the more androgynous maybe that's and maybe the that's vocal cry speaking the, yeah that's what yeah. i hear I hear that on podcasts a lot. I like to listen to podcasts and a lot of times I'm hearing uh, 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 kind of talking yeah. and um, it was funny because one of them, I think I've gotten so used to listening to it that um, I sent a podcast to a friend said, you have to listen to this. And he put it on, he's a voice teacher as well as a singer. And he was like, Carrie, I cannot listen to this. This is killing my throat. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Oh my God, I have to go back and listen to it. And he was right. But so I, I hear a lot of that. I don't hear what Sandra's talking about. I haven't heard that, but I hear a lot of the vocal fry That's like that. on the podcast. Well, uh, uh, uh. Okay, I really want to ask you this because I have admired this from afar. Not only, not career, career stuff, yes, but this to me, because for me, before we started doing Screaming Diva, social media was something I really just absolutely hated because um, nothing that I saw was real. It was all bullshit. 
and um, I didn't really want to be on it, sure. but everybody was telling me I had to be on it for work and I have to promote myself. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, how many selfies do you need to see of my face? I just didn't understand. So anyway, infinite, and, Harry, we need to see infinite selfies of your face. Infinite, infinite, infinite selfies. Is the answer. Infinite. So anyway, but through Screaming Divas, through Andrew Alsley of Unison, I have learned why you use this, but you have been so brilliant on social media this whole time. And I kind of wanted to know where your thought process is behind it, why you are so good at it, um, what makes you, because it seems like you love it. So I don't know if that's true or not, but um, I just wanted to ask you, where are you on social media and why do you think it's so important for our business? Wow, there's a whole whack of questions. Yeah, that's cool. I'm happy to talk about social media. I was told similar to you, I had the notion, okay, somebody who is an important promoter in the opera world told me you really need to do something on social media. You're ignoring it. Your presence is minimal. And I said, yeah, but no one really cares about what I'm doing and no one cares what I have to say. And I don't, I don't want to, you know, burden people with a barrage of unnecessary posts they don't care about. And so he <clears throat> then introduced me to Olivia Kaler, who is my press agent. And I had employed somebody else to try to help me with press things, but if it was like a, like a publicist, but it wasn't really necessary. Mm -hmm. I didn't have that much going mm -hmm. on at the time so it was like a lot of money and I thought oh I can't really afford this but then Olivia um we had this meeting and she just started talking to me about how it's important and how people in the in the modern way of like conceptualizing fame um people want to have access to celebrity and so you it's not the same as 30 years ago you you can't be this mystery. You can't promote a mystery. It will, people will care less right. than they do about a person that can actually see. Authenticity is like the Huge. most important cultural phenomenon of now. Mm -hmm. So um, she convinced me and I just said, okay, well, like, huh, can, can you help me? And so I, I employed her and I have been doing so ever since. It's like, how many years now? Three years. November 1st, 2018 was like our first day working together. And mostly she just started encouraging me to make posts about singing. And I was like, no one cares about this. But then I was shocked. There was like a vacuum. I mean, I started, I remember we made this video and she said, why don't you explain how you approach coloratura? And I'm like, no one cares about this. But I remember we made this video about Fiordalici and I showed them how I had broken it down, like basically step-by-step. Step. And then it went, um, like immediately it just got a lot of attention and people were writing me about it and like, wow, this is so interesting. I never thought of it that way. And I, and I thought, I'm really embarrassed to share this content because I'm not an expert, but I realized that's all anyone can do is just share their perspective. So at first I was making a lot of disclaimers, like this is my opinion. And now basically I'm like, look, <laughs> and that's inherent. You know, everyone that's followed, this is the beautiful thing. In the previous model, the, the social media model was Facebook, right? So you right. had to mutually add one another in order to have access to the content. Right. So then it's a bit awkward because you're, you're friends with all your high school friends and or with all your high school uh, right. co-students and yeah. everyone who ever met you one time in a doctor's office or whatever, <laughs> and they don't care about singing. But Instagram is different. You follow the people whose content you want to see. So right. people are curating their own feed. They're right. collecting. I don't know that everyone conceptualized it that way, but that is basically the idea that you make a, you make a page and you post content and people have the choice to see it or not. Right. So right. You're, you're allowed to post as much, as little as you want, you, but because other people control whether or not they see you. Mm -hmm. So then I found though, all of these people pouring into the inbox. Initially I had to spend a little bit of time every day I was answering uh personally all of the messages and I was really wow. touched there were so many people that were yeah. hungry for this information I suddenly thought actually like we said before there there is information that young that I wasn't given as a young singer and I want to help I want to give I want to prevent people from having those like emotional breakdowns that I found to be really necessary when I was entering the business, all these difficulties. Mm -hmm. I thought if I had been better prepared, if there had been someone telling me that I had value as a person, I think it would have been really helpful. So I try to provide that. And then it has okay. been mostly so positive. And I have found a, like a community of like-minded individuals. And that has been really lovely. Awesome. The downside I would say is like being a woman on the internet means you attract like some freaky attention. And so I sort of had to quit privately answering the majority of the uh of the oh, messages yeah. you're pretty okay. you're pretty yeah oh that's nice i'm not i'm so i don't think of myself that way at all 
and I, then you promote yourself and it sort of looks like, oh, look at me. I'm, that's not how I, anyway. So I, it's hard. It's hard to find that balance, isn't it? It's hard to find the balance between look at me, look at me. And actually this is useful information. And I find that's my, always my dilemma with social media is, is it, is it me just promoting me or is it me being genuine and sincere and honest? And that's, I always, I always ask that question right before I post something, is this actually honest and sincere? And that's the question I, that's the only thing now that I do. Is it, is it me? Is this what I, how I want people to see me? And, you know, 10 years from now, will I be embarrassed that I put this up? I think that's a really good point. There are different kinds of content that you are Mm. going to promote, right? And some of it will be basically shameless self-promotion. This is a picture of me in a costume, but also I can consider that tangentially educational. Like this is what it is like to be an opera singer. So people who are interested in that information, again, they are curating their own feed. So if they want to see it, they can see it. Mm -hmm. But I, I want the bulk of my content to be, to add value. So that's the question that I ask, like, does this add value? If I, as a young singer, were watching this, like, what would it mean to me? And if it, or very often I, I think of myself as like a comedian. So I'm like, oh, let's make them laugh. You know, I just want to <laughs> contribute yeah. content in some way that, that is meaningful. So, but I think, yeah, like, this is a picture of me in my underwear. Like, I don't love that kind of social media. I don't consider it very like meaningful but on the other hand maybe I just don't look good enough in my underwear let's what if I did if I weighed like a hundred pounds maybe I would do it too who knows maybe I would feel excessively driven by external validation I don't know like whatever it is that causes some people to to really do that and it really works for them you can make a whole living on being a super attractive person on Instagram like that's that's a job and all that I mean has it, ha, do you think that it has increased your value in our business by being mm. on social media? That's a good question. Um, I would say that I am treated differently by the companies that employ me since being more active on social media than I was before. But simultaneously, I switched management and started singing different repertoire. I'm not sure. Is this a chicken or the egg kind of yeah. situation? Okay. Um, but I do notice, so the, the different people that I spoke to about um, publicity for opera singers, they said like the best thing you can do for yourself is when you go to a company, meet the people in the press department. Just go in and say, I'm here, I'm doing this show. I would like to be involved in the publicity. If you have, an, if you have something come in, like, please consider me. And I never really, I didn't, I didn't really do that, but I think that's pretty good advice. Um, generally, you have to consider what is the value of marketing. I'm, I've been having this sort of debate with a friend who says he does not believe in marketing. He's like, marketing is gross. The quality of content is drastically more important than the marketing style. But I maintain something could be really great, but if no one knows about it, you're not going to have access to it. That publicity provides access. Mm-hmm. So yes, you have to ensure that your product is of a quality. You cannot compromise the quality of your product but if it's not marketed, nobody is going to get it. You know what I mean? It's going to just, you can be really high quality in a vacuum. And if no one knows about it, then what good does it do really? Yeah. But that's, that's, you know, trying to get stuff out there, but quality content out there. And, you know, now I want to, I want to backtrack. You said something, you said something there about changing management and changing that to me, to us is very interesting because you were singing Wagner, you know, Strauss, a lot of the German stuff. And now Mm -hmm. you've really kind of gone backwards in repertoire in a way like Faust and you did an amazing Vep. You did the French version of Vep Sicilienne. And I mean, even, are you even going into some of the Bel Canto stuff? I really want to I think I have one I mean I, I've been in like hot hot pursuit of like a, a Maria Stuarda for a while I would die to sing that and also Ana Bolena but I kind of want to do it in that order like Maria Stuarda is a good starting point I sang a little bit 
um, pieces. <clears throat> I did a, a big duet from Ana Bolena and the duet from Norma. And I feel I'm, I'm surprised. I'm having like palpitations talking to you about that because you are the empress. Mm -hmm. And like, thank you for all that you've given us. <laughs> I love you so much. Yeah. No, but seriously, how does one, you're what, 37 years old? Yes. Thank you for pointing it out. I know. Sorry. Well, <laughs> hey, I'm 52, so. Um, but look at you. Okay. Anyway, I know. Well, it, it, but that is it's to sing that kind of repertoire so early, and then to say, "Wait, maybe I'm not ready," or "Wait, maybe my voice has changed," or "Wait, I really want to sing this stuff too." What What was the What was the path? So initially I was told a lot, like you should sing Verdi. Actually, this is kind of funny. I mean, you hear so many opinions, right? In this business and people all love to compare you to someone. And mm -hmm. the problem is I'm five foot 11 and mm -hmm. like, I've never been like really thin. I mean, I, there was a time when I went for nine months only eating 800 calories a day and I lost like a ton of weight. Oh, shock. And none of them were carbs, but I start, I lost my ability to sing loud in the top and I was sort of like this weird subdued version of myself that mm. I realized I can't keep this up. And, and also, by the way, that became like such a, almost like an addiction, right? I mean, I was like, I have to keep going. I was insatiable about weight loss for this very bizarre brief period of my adulthood. But anyway, um, before I was quite heavy and I think people very often looking at me would decide you're going to sing heavy Germanic repertoire because if you look at you you are a Valkyrie mm -hmm. and then I would sing and I think they're they're like sure it's loud enough you know it's like a, it's a loud enough instrument but I found so actually in the beginning I did almost exclusively Mozart I mean for a couple of years I was just singing like the Countess mm -hmm. Fiordaligi Donanna I did these roles and I always had a weird experience with them like my voice was slightly disproportionately large compared to the rest of the cast, maybe. Um, <clears throat> so the reviews would be mixed depending on the theater. Like in Vienna, when I sang here, the, re the reviews were literally like, the voice is slightly too large, which I'm going, are you complaining that you could hear me? Is that your, is that your problem? Don't read reviews, by the way, right? I mean, you guys Hello. already know this probably. Right. Don't read reviews. It's just somebody's opinion. You can't, it doesn't help. It doesn't Opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. Everybody has yep and some of them smell so bad and some of them are bleached and some of them <laughs> oh sorry oh, that's terrible oh, yeah. so you so we digress but so you were so you far. were singing this repertoire and you said oh was so it far. you singing, or was it your teacher Mozart. yeah i was singing mozart and then like what happened was i began the young artist program in houston and they needed someone to cover elza and lohengrin so this is my first foray into Wagner. I was 24, 25, and I was just covering, just cover. But it was Adrienne Pachanka, and she had uh, like something happened to her. She was injured, so she had to cancel all the rehearsals. So I rehearsed it. I even got to sing it with the orchestra. Cool. And I, it was such uh, an incredible experience. Um, Simon O'Neill was Lohengrin. I mean, like the, this massive instrument. I just remember... And Christine Gerke, hello, was Orchard. I, mean, I was in heaven. It was such a cool experience. And I remember in the Zitzprobe, sitting there in the front row, and the whole men's chorus was behind me, and they sang, um, like, oh, sorry, they sang a men's chorus moment that's really, really bombastic. With men's all chorus. Playing. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, wow, you know, what a dream. Um, but so I started singing the aria in auditions because I had this really significant experience with it. So I felt connected to it emotionally in a bigger way than maybe some of the other pieces I was singing. And so then people heard that and they're like, wow, that people are just kind of, they don't like diversity. It's harder for them. You know, they want to put you in a little tiny box. Yeah. So yeah, they want you a pigeonhole to go mm -hmm. to fit into a little pigeonhole. So I just started singing and my big audition team was usually I would sing Elsa and they would ask for Fiordaligi and people were always like, wow, that's a weird combination. Like those are, those are really diverse. And I was like, well, I don't know what to tell you. I like singing both of them. So they're on there, right? And this is part of the problem with me is that I've always loved an enormous variety of repertoire. And I believe that diversity of repertoire can, if attended with great care, actually improve the longevity and health of the human instrument. So I attempted to promote 
myself, so to speak, in a wide variety of ways initially. But then once it started going, people were like, nope, you only do one thing. Yeah. You're going to sing Mozart, Strauss, Wagner. That's it. That's what you are. And I remember telling my manager, like, I would love though to sing Verdi. Like, could we possibly? Because I love Verdi. I just loved it. I mean, it resonated so deeply within me. And I, I remember just want, yearning to sing Verdi specifically and being told, well, maybe someday once you establish yourself as a Wagnerian, then maybe you can like, as a vanity project, be offered a Verdi heroine, like just to make you feel better and no one will really come and no one will see it. But that, that seems backwards to me. That just seems- Yeah, it's really, I think he was just trying to sort of talk me out of it. Do no. you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I thought, okay, I guess. And then also I was told repeatedly that at the time, there weren't a lot of people singing this like German romantic, sort of like Jugendlich Dramatisch Bach, that there was sort of a, a vacuum. So I could fill it. It was an easy career. Like there's gonna be rep for you if you make these choices. So I was going down this path, but I just started noticing more and more, like I'm in a cast of these enormous voices and I don't think I'm that loud. I don't think that the glory, I don't think the best thing that I have to offer is like size of instrument. and. I started sort of suffering in the high, like I couldn't sing as well in the high. So there was this concern that I had. And also the rep was just getting every season like heavier and heavier. I had Senta like four times in the books and like Zieglinda and people had been offering me Senta and Zieglinda from the very beginning. And I, it's like you, you hear, don't accept rep that is too big. You hear this as a young singer, but then when it happens, it's so seductive, the idea of, I'm going to get a paycheck, you know, yes. I'm going to work. I'm going to be a singer. And so you end up talking yourself into it. But then I did actually a low and grin. And, and this is the other thing. I didn't actually let go of all the German romantic stuff. I'm still singing Rosenkavalier. I'm singing Elsa and Lohengrin. I sing Elisabeth Tannhäuser, Eva mm. Meistersinger von Nürnberg. So basically the blonde Wagner, but I have basically yeah. left those S's, Santa Glinda. I left them alone. I don't think that at least, excuse me, at least for now, I don't think that's the, the best choice for me vocally. But I, I did Lohengrin, ironically, given the outcome, with um, Brandon Jovanovich, who was Lohengrin, and he's amazing. Yeah. <clears throat> Huge, right? I mean, don't you love him? He's the best amazing. in the planet. I did we with um, him. He is amazing as Germán. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, he's so talented. He's so kind. He's like a very very nice, good, great, talented colleague. But anyway, so we were working together and it, Alan Green represented him in Europe. So Alan came to the show and coincidentally went to the same restaurant after the performance. And he said, you should be singing Verdi. That was his, you need, I hear in you so much Verdi. And I was like, oh, I want to, I have this, I want to so bad. And then we started talking a few months later. At this point, I also had some sort of problems like a five month income gap. And I was the sole breadwinner in a family of five. So I was like, I, can I sing Beethoven's Ninth Symphony in Pumpkin Falls, Iowa, please? Like anything, can right. you please help me to pay for the groceries? Um, and it's so I was real. concerned. I mean, that's a real thing too. And especially yes. now. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, if only I had known that I could teach voice lessons, but I mean, I'm not at all sorry with how the way things turned out. But I had already spoken to my management and said, I'm really sorry, I need to have the feeling that so I think there are different management styles and it just wasn't like a super great fit for me before. But what I also realized is that they just never were that enthusiastic about me. You know what I mean? That maybe most important in choice of manager is their level of belief in you. Yeah. And the ones that I had were just, they were kind of like, yeah, you're, she's fine. You know, she's fine. It's fine. That's not enough. You need to believe that they're going into the room saying, have I got a voice for you? You know what I mean? Yeah, like totally. that's what you need. So I found that luckily in Alan Green. By the time we had met, it was, I had already been working for a while, but now I'm with Alan and everything changed. And he did this massive push in the business to change my rep, which nice. is funny because like I said, I don't necessarily need to abandon the German romantic rep. And yeah. I am this season, for example, I did recently, I sang like in, in German, Elijah, Elias, um, which is sort of more in that old vein. And I'm doing Lohengrin again. And uh, yeah, I sing Rosen Cavalier, but um, 
sorry, mostly the, my repertoire is really lyrical now. Yeah, like Faust, I did Violetta, which was a dream come true. I know. I'm doing it again next season. What else? What other, what new things do you have coming up that we can look forward to? You don't have to say where, but roles. Yeah, right. Well, I, I think, see, and this is the other thing, like how much can you rely on it, right? Because I, I'm tentative now that COVID happened and everything got canceled, but I should do Don, Don Carlos a couple of times. Yay. And um, <clears throat> Traviata, Trovatore again. Vespri cool. uh, Siciliani in Italian now. And mm -hmm. um, what else is new? Louisa Miller, do you have any of those? No, but I want to. I could see that. Totally. <sighs> Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah. And That's any Puccini? Nice. Any of the Puccini stuff besides you know, it's funny because okay I um the first role I ever sang was Musetta and I find that really really fun and then somehow when I was fast in Dresden they let me do Mimi and I was always like this is a joke La Piccina I am La Piccione like I am so tall it's just weird casting choice was being so tall although apparently historically there have been a slew of tall Mimis and but they call her La Piccina, like her defining characteristic is that she is small. So I always feel a bit fraudulent singing that role. But at the same time, I really feel for the character. I think she's very um, sort of, she's this poet. I, I, I like, I like her. I like Mimi. So I'm singing Mimi some more, but I, I think that's mm -hmm. it as far as Puccini in the books. I did Swore Angelica once in school and I really loved it. I would love to do, give that another I can see try. that. Totally. Yeah. Thank you. I could probably see that. No, I could I could see the Bel Canto stuff as well. Yeah, oh, I want to. I want to sing. I want to do that eventually. Those queens like you did. Oh my gosh, Lava. I saw that in Chicago and it was friggin' fantastic. Brilliant. Do you, do you because you seem to be so deeply entrenched in technique? You know, like technique is your thing, <laughs> which is a great thing. I, that I is so I, funny. <laughs> I'm glad I have pulled the bowl all the way over Yay. the <laughs> How much do you think about the character as well? Like when you're on stage, do you, you know what I mean? Like, is it, is it, is it more about the singing for you or is it more about the acting or is it even? Oh. It is absolutely, this is, I probably shouldn't admit this, but I think it is only about the acting. Once you're, I mean, barring the few moments where your body, okay, if you, work on technique long enough it should become habitual to the point where you don't actually have to give it a lot of thought is my right. opinion occasionally you're going to come up across a passage that requires you to divert a little bit of your focus toward the technique mm -hmm. um <clears throat> but the only reason i talk so much about technique is to help young singers i do not tend to think about technique when i am performing i okay. only think about text i only think about trying to say text as if i were the first person saying it so like, what would the emotional scenario be wherein I would say these words? Mm -hmm. Then I try to imagine that. I try to feel with the character. Like, what are we, where are we in the world that we're saying these things? Like, what part of my personal experience can I draw upon sure. to make this as improvisational mm -hmm. seeming and mm -hmm. as naturalistic as possible? Those are my highest, okay. I would say my highest artistic uh, aspirations in a performance setting. Love it. So new productions you're okay with, like modern takes on things or are you more- No, yes and no. I think I'm a bit, okay, how do I put this? The best directors that I've worked with love how much I care about it and are interested in making a product that works for everyone and like that feels honest. The worst directors I've worked with are psychotic egomaniacs that only care about their disgusting vision that's about destroying the piece for the sake of self-aggrandizement. And um, I find that offensive in the extreme. I find that um, recently I did a production that I didn't believe in and it was, it, I'm still I'm still suffering. I, I think like it, it costs so much more to the singer than anyone talks about because right. you're basically told how lucky you are to have a job yeah. But if you care about what you're doing and you're moved by the, these masterworks and then they're given into the hands of someone who utterly disrespects them and dances on the corpse of the composer, um, I think that you, the singer, is the one who suffers most, even more than the poor audience who is lured into the theater under the false pretense of the title of the opera and then given toilets or 
you know, people snorting cocaine on puppets. dead horses or puppets. puppets. Yeah, I think that something really fundamentally needs to shift in the opera profession. People talk a lot about like, oh, it's in decline and how do we save it? And so in my opinion, um, these modern productions which are attempting to solve the problems of opera, they are the problem. I mean, let's say that like lazy, um, unprepared singers who, who aren't communicating, that is bad. That is not desirable. Nobody wants to see that. But the answer is not to superimpose a different story onto these masterpieces. That is not the answer. In my opinion, the answer is to come from the inside of the piece. Maybe more the style of somebody like David McVicker, mm -hmm. who knows the text so well that he is interested in promoting the truth yeah. of the characters, the truth, the humanity of the experience of the story, rather than like, it's. I had this idea that we would have some people being tortured and some girls getting raped and there's gonna be a lot of nudity and we're gonna pay these dancers to show their boobs. And yeah, and that'll be, it's disgusting. It's stupid in the extreme. It is, I'm sorry, I can't believe I'm this impassioned. I should really tone it down. But um, we are the ones that suffer. We are the ones that are made to endure. And honestly, like it is, it is demoralizing to me to be in a production where I studied the text, I care about it. I have made myself to care about this character. Mm -hmm. And then I'm told, I know you thought she was a person, but let's make her a, a puppet. Or a puppet. I know this is a literal experience you had. I'm so sorry. I don't know if you're able to like talk about that. Oh, I'm still, I'm still traumatized about it. Carrie knows that, right? Mm -hmm. And how did you, and this is the thing, you were talked into that. You were convinced by a series of people that that was like the only way to do it. And I'm sure you, I'm sorry, I don't know you. I imagined this, that you wanted to walk away from that. What made you do it in the end? How did you, how did they convince you? Well, there was a small little thing called a pandemic going on. So you, okay. And, and I had a mortgage to pay, you know, oh, and sure. we, we, we all have to make some sacrifices in life everybody had to during the pandemic and yeah i mean jonas and i we were both really not super happy with the production everybody knew that but i think that there was some compromises made and i think that having that dialogue with somebody with a director who is so passionate about their idea and sometimes they don't write your own opera write your own opera you know what i mean right and if you're so smart go ahead and write your own opera Congratulations. Anyway. And sorry. So yeah, that's <laughs> it. And so we had to have this, it was basically like a, a come to Jesus moment. And we had to just say, right, okay, this isn't working for me. And I think that this is where being a professional comes in so much in this profession. We as singers also need to express our feelings and how we're feeling about a production and say, no, this doesn't work for me. I can't do that. I know that you're very passionate about it, but I'm passionate about this. So where are we gonna meet in the middle? Or are we gonna meet in the middle? Or if we can't meet in the middle, I'm sorry, I'm not the person for you. I'm gonna have to walk away from this. And I'm gonna have to walk away. And I think we had that come to Jesus moment. And, but it, it involved communicating. And I think we as singers, not do, only do we communicate with our voices on stage, but I think we have to communicate with our voices off stage. Yeah. with the public, with the director, with a conductor. And I think a lot of singers nowadays are afraid to do that. But we have an opinion and we know what's going to work for us and what's not going to work for us. And I think that, what do you, Carrie, you, do you agree? I totally agree. I think, um, you know, you just made me think of the whole uh, monitor situation in Seattle. And I, I had asked for a week, like nice. Very in Seattle. And I and it was how um is there any way that we can turn these downs? Who who is in charge of this? How can I ask you? Can you only do it in this section? So I'm not affecting my other colleagues. Can you just do it in these moments? I've talked with these colleagues. Can we have it? Blah blah blah. And I, you know, you think you're doing everything 
the right way and how to ask and be polite and courteous and kind, like I would want to be treated. And then by the end of the week and you walk out on your first performance that you haven't sung in 18 months and you can barely hear your colleagues on stage because the monitors are so loud. And at that point I was like, I don't really know what else to do. And in the intermission, I am like in tears because you know, you're, 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 Oh my God, why am I getting emotional? <laughs> I'm sorry, Carrie. It was a what traumatic, was yeah, it was because, really traumatic. Yeah, because it's the first time you're back on stage after all this time and you're just like, why is this fucking so hard? This is just monitors. And because you're emotional about it, then all of a sudden you're a troublemaker or you're a problem or, oh, it's a diva thing or it's a whatever. And you're just like, I'm just trying to do my fucking job, people. Can you please help me? And I just, and it, I think that that's part of the business that we don't talk about. You know what I mean? Like, can I put this, this conversation out online or will Seattle never hop, um, Seattle opera never hire me again because I'm talking about it. And, and it was an emotional experience and I was in tears. And honestly, I didn't even say anything to anybody. The conductor came in my dressing room to say, you sounded glorious in act one. And he was like, oh my God, what's the matter? And I'm like, it's fine. I'm fine. I can handle it. You just tell me what's wrong. And I'm like the monitors, how many times do I have to ask for the monitors to be turned out? <laughs> oh, oh I know. And it's so stupid. Can I just say like, oh sorry, can I just say that that sensitivity is exactly what makes you a compelling performer? So it is screwed up that you would think you to conceal it in order yeah. to preserve your job because it is an asset. It is not a detriment to Seattle Opera that you are sensitive about the monitors. It is their asset. It improves the quality of your work. So yeah. like I applaud you that you cried over the monitors. You care about your work. You care about providing a quality product. And that should be the only thing that they care about. And young singers need to know this too, right? If, if, if there is something that, that as a young singer that you're not comfortable with, that you feel someone's not hearing you, hearing what you're saying, then you have to learn to communicate better. I'm yeah. sorry. And not sometimes, only- sometimes I feel like you get pushed to the edge. I've been, you try so hard to communicate and, and because like what you said, the end product is what we all really care the most about. I want to keep having people come back to the theater because the experience that they had while my hiney was on stage was one that they want to experience again. Does that make sense? Like that they want to, they want to come back to the opera house and buy another $200 ticket. So no, I, I think, I just think sometimes it's so hard to communicate and sometimes you're pushed to the edge, like in situations like with Sandra and the, to actually have to say, I want to walk away because this is not working is ridiculous, especially during the midst of what we just all live through. So yeah, it's horrible. This is the thing that I have to say in every event where it has come that far for me, which is super seldom mm-hmm. and where I have said <clears throat> like, okay, if that's what you want, then we're going to have to part ways. The theater has 100% of the time sided with me. 100% of the time, that people believe the story you tell them about yourself. So if the story you tell them about yourself is, I'm so accommodating, I really am happy to do whatever anyone else wants, then also what you're saying is, I'm a little bit less important than everyone else in the room. It's so I completely relate to this, this like fear of being too much, but yeah. think about it, think about it in the long, like the whole experience of your life, you've probably mm-hmm. been a little bit disproportionately large. That's why you're an opera singer, right? <laughs> like so probably this is like old you're triggered by the the monitors and you're freaked out to make yourself a problem because you were like arguably i don't know you personally well enough to say but i bet your whole life you're probably told you were too loud right and like too much yeah but i think we all have this 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 old deep trauma the story that we tell ourselves is like there's not room for me and my needs but maybe we should change the narrative. And that's a part of becoming a better communicator. Like Sandra said, if you mm-hmm. are able to say, oh, wow, you know, this circumstance is preventing me from being able to meet my needs artistically. Yeah. And I understand you have your own thing going on. Like whoever you have to ask, the stage manager, thank you, first of all, so much for the work that you're doing, that we're doing together Absolutely. to accomplish this. Um, I, I really need some help. Is there any way that you could, you know what I mean? There's like a way of saying it. I think it's really important. In my opinion, my experience, it is, it is vital to avoid hierarchical thinking. Yes. That too many singers, I have observed singers who perceive themselves to be very high in the hierarchy. So they're always trying to enforce it by yeah. 
treating people like top down. They, they go up, they're like, look at you, I'm so much more important. Or singers who self-betray and go down up, like, oh, thank you so much for your time. I'm so grateful to be here. Oh my gosh, I know there's thousands of singers waiting to replace me. But really, we need to avoid this hierarchy, live independent of it, where we say, we're all in this room together trying to create something wonderful for the benefit of the audience. How can we do that together? Totally. And I think that even in the context of a difficult production, if you do that, if you speak straight to the director, if you say, I'm not, um, I'm willing to, this is the other thing I've noticed. When they will modify something for you, you must first try it. Always. So an, an idea that I is give terrible. Three tries. I always give it three tries. Three, Sandra, you are generosity itself. <laughs> give it three. But you know what, then, then the third try, if it doesn't work, I'm sorry. I tried it. We're done. That's it. That's all she wrote. Hi. <laughs> that is a bridge too far. Thank you so much. Oh my God. Yeah. But listen, I think a lot of singers are afraid to speak up and say, this isn't working for me. And they don't know then, then a director or a conductor or whoever, a stage manager won't know that you're having an issue and so then we internalize it all and we just get tighter and tighter and tighter and and what what do we use to you know sing and then we're tight here so it ruins our final product it ruins the production and it just makes it worse for everybody so you know what nobody wins nobody right. wins. let people know you're not offending anyone honestly it's it's how you do it not if you do it how do you are you a tight you course girl or are you a loose course girl tight i'm psycho i love i want i say let's be honest i say that i like it tight to have something to push against like a pojo right but the truth is i'm incredibly insecure about my appearance <laughs> <laughs> I just somebody like, who's actually honest. honest there you go oh but no be like all right i mean i i say it's like those people who say the Met, the Met is such a great acoustic. Like it's so easy to sing in the Met, it's so easy. It's like a tiny, it's like singing in the bathroom. Oh, the acoustics are great. I'm like, okay, thanks, humble brag. You know what I mean? So that's, that's, that's basically for me, the same as saying the course that I just need to have something to press against where the truth is like, everyone looks better with a really tight course is my horrible vain opinion. No, pain it. for beauty. No, I love it. I mean, I, I just, I actually have a waist underneath the boobage. So can you just accent that? I mean, why does it all have to be one size from the boobs down? Cause I'm not built like that. I mean, so can you just make right. this work to fit me? But no, I've only had two, two in my whole career, two, two women that understood what to do with the lines, the pins, the darts, the corsets, the boning within a costume is sometimes actually better than a, than a corset. It makes you look more your size than with the course that adds that extra bulk to it so yeah, no, yeah. Mm -hmm. costume yeah. fittings for carrie are traumatic i always cry oh. so many phone calls or photos carrie you'll send me a photo really look at this are you kidding me like are you kidding me i mean I, like, oh that is so funny i'm so glad i'm not the only one I, I hate a costume fitting day i hate it and yeah. i this is something i tell real opera school it, on a costume fitting day I try um, to always dress like really well and have like really good makeup, really good hair. Cause I want to show up telling them like, it is possible for me to look good. Okay, okay. please help. Do not believe that the standard is low because I'm not a standard size. Okay, no. you need to do me a favor. But I also had the experience once I was asked to bring my own costume. Like it was for a, a, a sort of semi-staged concert thing and they wanted costumes. I have something made to measure it was really weird specific requests like they wanted a white cotton wedding dress yeah because everyone's wedding dress is cotton but anyway okay so i had one made i did and i showed up and with my dress i had spent my money on it even though the fee was low i was like i'm not having this conversation i'm gonna just bring my own dress and not be a problem because i'm too much right you, you are me? never too much we are never <laughs> I, no one is ever too much Thank you. There is a place for us. There's a place for us. Opera's the place for us. <laughs> oh, Yay! Just I love anyway, 
I showed up, I have to finish this dumpster really quick. I showed up okay. with my cotton dress and the director, or no, not the director, they had someone responsible for costuming. And she said, I said, look, I brought my own dress. And she said, well, to be fair, you're not exactly standard sized. And I was like, really? I showed, I did your job. So you didn't have to. And you're still gonna insult me about, I couldn't believe it. I was like, thank you. Thank, I'm, you know, cool. Yeah. Anyway, right. no, I feel you. That's over. such a hard thing. It is a, it is a hard thing. Totally. Uh, well, let's do, let's do rapid fire. We want to do our quick, funny, funny stuff. Do and it. then we'll let you go, go back to Lori. So ready for it? Ready, ready, rapid I'm ready. fire. I'm ready. Do you have a motto that you live by? Uh, oh, a motto that I live by. Or a mantra. What is for me cannot pass me. What is meant for me arrives. And um, I love you. I appreciate you. I, okay, I'm sorry. What are the whole thing? I'm sorry, sorry. There's this whole little thing. I haven't done it for a while, but I should pick it up again. I say to myself, I imagine all my cells saying to me or me saying to all my cells, I love you. I appreciate you. I forgive you. I love you. I appreciate you. I forgive you. And there's one more that I can't remember. But anyway, that's good. That's pretty good. That's beautiful. I love that. Mm. I think everybody should do that, not just performers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Yay. What is the one thing that you've tried that you'll never do again? Ice skating. <laughs> like, what, yeah. is, what is the strangest rumor you have ever heard about yourself? Ooh, that's a good one. That I have horns. What? Do you have horns? That I have horns. I mean, I'm sorry, this was very old, but when I was six on the playground, someone found out I was Mormon and asked me if I had horns. <laughs> and that has stuck with you all these years. That's hilarious. But I'm sorry, as far as rumors go, that would be the, that's the weirdest that I've heard. Okay. That is quite weird. Yeah. That, yeah, that okay. is very weird. If you could choose any magical power, what would it be? Oh, I maybe mind reading. Ooh, that's a good one. What is your able to like mind. understand people immediately? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just see, see and understand what they need and like where they are. What's the truth? Yeah. 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 No bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, best piece of advice you were ever given. Um, that yeah, people believe the story you're telling them about yourself. Mm. including you you believe the story that you're telling people about yourself so be careful with that story because in the absence of a conscious thought about that story the story is going to disparage you we are taught to betray ourselves to benefit other people we mm. are taught this early and we are taught it hard and so you have to be careful and sort of shift the narrative into a more like self loving one and then uh yeah then your story will change and people will therefore believe of, in you in a different way that's amazing love awesome. that yeah um most beloved thing that you own that i own oh i don't put a great deal of uh value into personal possessions to be honest i don't know is there is there yeah. something Cause I've had, I'm living out of a suitcase, right? What's the most beloved thing that I own? Your suitcase? My phone, my phone, my phone. I love my phone. <laughs> I can connect to all the people I love with my phone. It's very True. important. I love it. Yeah. Okay. We asked this of everyone. What is your favorite cuss word in any language? Shaisa. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. I said Shaisa, that's my favorite. Ah, no, no, no. I think Shaisa, Shaisa is probably. Mm -hmm. Sorry, that prostitute one is pretty bad in Francais. Okay. And our last question we always ask Go ahead. if heaven exists, what do you want to hear God say as you walk through the pearly gates? Oh, oh, um, welcome home. Cool. Very nice. That's How about you? Do you have an answer to that question? Have you ever answered this question before? And I don't think I've seen you answer that on Screaming Davis. I, have, I think Carrie and I probably have the same response. Well, we have two responses. The buffet's okay. over there and, and it's, it's uh, no calories. <laughs> and number two, here's your dad. 
oh, your dad is going to be there. Yeah, that's lovely. That's lovely. Mine too. Yeah. I've always, uh, you know, a, a dear friend of mine, Richard Cox, I has always said, I know I'm going to get into heaven, but I'm going to be in the back by the buffet table. So that's, you know, I want to be there with him. I think we're um, going to be in the rowdy crowd section. Yeah, it's for a rowdy present. Yeah, that's so interesting. I don't know because I feel like so heaven. What is heaven? I mean, the way that we conceptualize. I don't know. Like we're gonna transcend this mortal coil. There's gonna be. I don't know what it's gonna be like. But I think yeah, welcome there. home. I think I the that. idea that we all belong together in this sort of spiritual realm is really really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's beautiful. Thank you. Thank and you for having me. Thank such you a for pleasure. It totally has been. Thank you always, so much. Always great talking with you and enjoy your time in Paris and Vienna. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you. Merci All the beaucoup. toys. Yeah. It's going to be All brilliant. The toys. All the toys. Take care and we will see you hopefully in person soon. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. Bye.